The peace of Christ be with you. Give yourselves a, about three deep breaths to be settled into the presence of the Spirit and to be held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. The glory of God shines like a consuming fire. The voice of God thunders like a mighty storm.
You may be seated. Welcome here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be here with you. A special welcome if you're visiting with us today. If you are a visitor, find someone that's wearing a name tag. That means they've been around a little while and they can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. I invite you after worship out to our patio area for coffee and tea and snacks, especially a chance to get to know each other just a little better. So let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in the bulletin for you. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have blessed us with consciences, the voice which quietly guides us to goodness and generous living. Forgive us when we have ignored this voice inside and listened to easier calls to hear. Forgive us for moments when we have not spoken up to prevent Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. With gentleness, God speaks to us. With graciousness, God forgives us. And with joy, God embraces us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us this morning to come join me here at the front. Amen. Y'all are fast. Got here before I did. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Come on up. So I have to tell you guys, this time right now, what we call the time of discovery, is one of my most favorite parts of worship. Because I love being able to sit up here with you guys and, and talk to you or listen to Rob or Jeff talk with you. I just think it's great. And part of the reason why I think it's great is because it's a recognition that you all, the children and youth of Westminster, are important to us. You're an important part of our worship and of our community. And we want to have this special time that honors you guys. But you know, it wasn't always like that. Back in the time when Jesus lived, children were not considered very important or very special, or very valuable. People didn't really think much of children at all. In fact, children were pretty much just kind of a nuisance that got in the way all the time. And in fact, one day Jesus was teaching, and there were crowds gathered, and some families brought their children so their children could see Jesus and hear him and learn from him. But some of Jesus' disciples saw these children coming, and you know what they did? They actually told the children to stay away. You can't see Jesus. You can't even get close to Jesus. You're just kids. 
You know, and I had a brief thought this morning, knowing I was going to tell you this story, I had a brief thought. I thought maybe I'd get a couple of adult volunteers to like stand here and as you guys tried to come forward to like turn you away, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It just felt so wrong. Even if we were pretending to turn you away from coming forward, I just couldn't do it. That's how, that's how wrong it felt. And And Jesus saw this happening, saw his disciples trying to turn away the kids from coming to see him. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, let the children come to me. Because even though not many other people at that time thought children were important, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that children were important and valuable and special and had lots of amazing and wonderful things to add to the community. And when I think about Jesus and his whole life and all he did and all he taught, I have to say, that's one of my most favorite things about Jesus, is that he welcomed the kids and the young people. He knew that the young people were important and valuable and special. And even that, we adults had stuff we could learn from you guys, that you had stuff you could teach us. And I am so grateful that Jesus taught us that lesson. So thank you all for being a part of this community. Thank you for all that you have to teach us and to show us about God. And know that you are always so important to us, as you were to Jesus. All right, so Jen is right here, and she's going to lead you out to Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. Now's the time in our worship service where we share our joys and our concerns with each other, that we can be in prayer for and with each other. So if you have something to share, just raise your hand and let us know. Denny. Absolutely. Denny lifts up the uh, opening ceremonies of the Olympics and especially the symbol of the dove and the symbol of peace, offering that maybe we could use a little bit more of that in our world today. Other joys or concerns? Yeah, Ron. Absolutely. Prayers for a friend who had a heart attack and had three stints put in is doing well, but continued prayers for healing. Others? Yeah, Jim. I ask for prayers of strength for my mom's good friends, Michael and Anthony, and other former neighbors, as Michael goes into hospice care. Mm, Okay. Good friends of Barbara's, one of them is going to be going into hospice care, so prayers for that family. Scotty. Okay, you want to just, okay, perfect, absolutely. So he just offers prayers for Rod Farrow. Thank you, Scotty. I didn't know if you had more to share, but that's, that's all we need, right? Prayers for Rod Farrow, yes. Mm-hmm. 
So prayers uh, for a grandmother figure for your children who is dying of cancer, and then also prayers for a young 11-year-old that you have been connected with who is also dealing with some health concerns. Yeah. Oh, great. Congratulations. A new grandson for Andy, born earlier this month. Let's hold all of these prayers, those both spoken aloud, also those prayers kept in the silence of our own heart. Let's hold them in quiet for just a little while, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not The anthem today has a a large number of metaphorical phrases that are uh, deep, rich in meaning. The the text of the poem actually appears in our hymnal at number 274, and I invite you either now or later to uh, look at the text of the poem and also the brief story at the bottom of the page of why the author composed that poem.
The first scripture reading is from Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around her. God calls to the heavens above and to the earth that God may judge God's people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare God's righteousness, for God, God's self, is judge. This is holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading comes from Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 2 through 9. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say this morning. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Humanity had risen from the dead. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Something was resolved for me this year. You know that saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too? I never understood that. But this year, I learned that the phrase was originally, you can't eat your cake and have it too. Makes a lot more sense. Anytime the world can become a little bit less bewildering to me, I take it as a victory. I would prefer to have my cake and to eat it and to have more to eat again and not add weight as I kept eating cake while we're thinking wishfully. I mean, this is how we like things in our life, do we not? We like to have all the good parts without all the bad parts, the glory and the the fame without the scrutiny or the sacrifice, or the suffering. Well, today's story about Jesus is one that's almost explicitly told only in terms of glory. We have this strange moment. It's, it's filled with allusions to the Old Testament, if you know your Hebrew scriptures, where Jesus goes up a mountain. There's your first clue. And, and there is Moses and Elijah And and there's a blinding light, and it's emanating from Jesus like it had once done for Moses, so bright that people had to veil themselves or they would die seeing it. And a voice booms 
from the heavens or calls out from the heavens, this is my son, the beloved. It's the second time in Mark that a voice from heaven names Jesus in that manner. Significant. It's a moment filled with glory. And he's not alone. Peter, James, and John get to come along to see the show. And there they are as they see this one that they're still figuring out who he is get named that way. And it's not simply a familial name, this is my son. It's actually kind of a coronation. And it becomes clear this is the one who will usher in the kingdom of this strange and mysterious God. Glory, hallelujah, because he's not only the one that will overcome much in this life, but he will overcome even death itself on Easter. All kinds of glory on this mountain. But what happens when Jesus comes down from the mountain? For that matter, what happened to Jesus on the way up the mountain? Because we do not live exclusively on the mountain, and neither did Jesus. The gospel stories tell us that he lost a lot on his journey, his journey on rough paths and deep valleys. He seems to have lost a home. He lost a number of relationships, and of course, ultimately, he lost his life. So he lost a lot. It was not all glory for Jesus, just like it's not for us. And it's good that the Gospels include those painful moments along the way as much as we might like to brush past them. I've come to realize there's something really important, in fact, even refreshing about people just telling you the truth, even if it's unpleasant, because we live in a world where everybody's trying to spin something where there can't be any uncomfortable news along with the good news. But there is, there's a lot of painful news that accompanies the good news. I uh, went to the doctor this past year for a physical. And uh, the doctor requested that, you know, you bring in anything that's bothering you. And so I had a little list of just kind of small, nagging things. Nothing, nothing big. But I went through them at her request. And afterwards she said, well, you know, after about 30, you, yeah, 30. You just, your, the body just starts declining. She might have even said falling apart, but she definitely said declining. Yeah. Oh, it gets better. She said, think of your, light, your life as on a dimmer switch. And, and you're just getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And eventually you'll go out. I left the doctor feeling great. I'm actually not kidding. I left feeling really good. <laughs> I don't know why. Part of it is I think I live, we live in this society where everybody's selling you some fountain of youth that's a lie and really expensive. And for someone who would just be honest about it, if maybe not tactful, I felt good, as if I'd actually been honored. And all those little things, well, they weren't seen as aberrations from how it was supposed to be. They got reframed as, well, that's just part of how it is. And all of a sudden, they bothered me less. Amazing. I, uh, when I started the ordination process to become a pastor, my de- denominational liaison said something 
strange to me as well. He said, you know, there's no glory in this life. There's only suffering in the path you've just... I, that was kind of what I face I made. Now, on, on a lot of days, I see that as hyperbole. But, you know, I've never forgotten it. And I've grown to appreciate it. Because I think what he was trying to communicate to me was that this was not going to be all glory. And if that's why you're getting into it for, you're in for a rude awakening. So I want to awaken you now. So when the suffering comes, you'll see it as part of the path not a sign that you've gone the wrong way. It was helpful. Jeff Shankel, who's our youth director here, in title, in function, he's a lot more than that. And he's a marvelous Bible teacher, among other things. And he said to me on more than one occasion that whenever Jesus is doing something and a crowd starts to form and more and more people want to come and join in, Jesus makes it harder for them. Not easier. And I think... Part of the reason is because he wants to shatter any illusions they have that this is all going to be glory and all going to be fun with no struggle along the way. We just don't live most of our lives on the mountaintop. It's on roads that have uneven surfaces and, and really tough terrain at times. And a lot of times life goes through the wilderness where we can't even see which way we're supposed to be going. Appropriately, then we lift up those who have made it to the mountaintop, mountaintop and give us a vision of where we could go and the people we could become. It's Black History Month, so of course we're remembering folks like Dr. King and many others not named enough and how they did give us uh, such a vision. But maybe we forget the roads they had to endure to get there and the roads they endured afterwards. Sure, we loved King, we love King's dream now, but at the time, and things he said afterwards, his Vietnam speech was not greeted with much acclaim by all kinds of folks. And Muhammad Ali, who many of us revere now as a, a hero or called out some hypocrisy in our country, boy, at the time that scorn was imprisoned for doing what he did around the same cause, speaking out against the Vietnam War. There's struggle in standing up and speaking out and doing what's right. Many of us have watched uh, uncomfortably and painfully this horrific episode in our sort of national consciousness around the doctor who worked at Michigan State for all those years and was the team physician for USA Gymnastics, Larry Nasser. And I don't know about you, but I watched some of those proceedings when the victims got up to make their statements one after another. I cannot imagine the kind of vulnerability that required of them to face him face to face and after having their experiences made public to have to address them. That courage is beyond words for me. And imagine what it was like for the first one to speak out, Rachel Den Hollander. And I shouldn't even necessarily call her the first because it seems there were many who spoke up and were not heard, who may have came before, may have come before. Think of what it was like for them 
two doses of shame, the shame of being violated in the grossest of ways, and then to have their stories not heard, not listened to, dismissed, or criticized. Think of what that was like. Now, there are all kinds of horrible angles of that story that would take us more than today to talk about. And one, and it's probably not even the worst, but it affects us here, that particularly strikes me is one of the prices that Den Hollander paid for speaking her truth, the truth, uh, to those who had harmed her. In her impact statement, Den Hollander said that when she started to speak up, not about her experience exclusively, but um, on behalf of other women, and I would actually assume men, boys and girls, about sexual abuse they'd experienced in the church, when she spoke up about this in the evangelical circles in which she moved, she lost her church. The very people who should have been with her the most abandoned her. When she brought up advocacy for those folks, they didn't listen to what she described as mountains of evidence. Now, that's a different kind of mountain than one we talked about earlier. They opposed her, and they criticized her, and they tried to discredit her and many others like her. The church has done that from time to time, sometimes in direct ways like that, and I'm reminded that often in indirect ways. I mean, you could go back and read that community prayer written in pretty traditional language, and in light of the story I just shared, start to think, wait, if I didn't speak up, did, did I somehow fail God? Was that a sin if I was hurt? If I haven't forgiven my abuser, am I somehow not Christian? Have I fallen short? Oh, no, no. Sometimes the church, in good intentions, sends very harmful messages. If you were a victim or someone who was not able to share for whatever reason, God's first word to you and last word to you is unconditional love. It's compassion. It's justice. And no forgiveness should ever be forced upon anyone. So please hear that, if that pertains to you, before you leave today. Now, God willing, most of us won't have to um, face a predator like Dr. Larry Nasser. But the statistics are staggering on the number of us or you who have or will. And God willing, most of us won't have to be martyred like Dr. Martin Luther King and die for what's right. So most of us will have to deal in standing up and speaking out in the small ways and in the small moments because that's actually where most of the progress gets made, the incremental progress. There was a beautiful thing that happened in here in worship several months ago. We had spoken about uh, sexism or racism or, or something along those lines. And the lector, when it was time to give a prayer over the offering, prayed that we might have courage to speak out and to stand up not just in the big moments, but in the little everyday moments. When the disparaging comment or joke is shared in the office or at a social gathering. When people are spoken about in any way that degrades or dehumanizes them in casual conversation, that we might have the courage to not participate, not to laugh, and if possible to even speak a word in opposition, in righteous truth. 
that really struck me because that's where even I live most of the time. And thanks be to God, we have these few people who stand up in really public ways and seem to go out there alone and say a prophetic word to the world. And maybe some of those are you. Because what they do for us is they provide the rest of us cover under which we, need to, we can rush and join in that. You could say that uh, the goal then is not always to be someone that speaks out to be, but to be what's called a first follower. Beneath these people who've stood out on our behalf, we can rush behind them and join in. Now, being a first follower doesn't carry the same glory, and it does carry a lot of the same risk. There are still consequences to stepping out in faith. But it's critically important, just as important as it is for those, peop- those prophets in our midst. Because what it does is it transform, transforms a powerful moment into a potential movement. And being a first follower allows others to rush in with you, and then the masses can join in, and that's when real things change. So our actions may be small, but our role is actually quite large. You could say that the job of a Christian is never to be a prophet. We don't have to. We, all we have to do is be first and maybe second and third followers. Because we have those who've already stood out on our behalf. Walter Brueggemann, this great Older Testament scholar, uh, talks about how often preachers come to him and say, how can I be a prophetic preacher and stand out there alone in a world that doesn't want to hear it? And he probably chuckles in his mind, but doesn't laugh to our faces, and says, your job is not to be a prophet. Your job is to stand behind the prophets who have already stepped out on your behalf. We have that in our tradition, whether it's the prophets or the scriptures or the Savior himself, some, someone and some things which provide us great cover, and that can give us enormous direction an enormous strength. Den Hollander, who didn't lose her faith when she lost her church, reflected on her experience uh, in light of her faith. She said this, in terms of how my faith played a part in making that decision, that decision to speak out. She said, God is the God of justice. These things are evil, and it is biblical, right, and godly to pursue justice. Those things gave her the cover she needed to step out as courageously as she did. I had to make a decision to do what was right no matter what the cost was. I felt I was the best person, I was the best one in a position to do that. At the time, I went forward to the Indy Stars, the paper that exposed this. I didn't know that there were any others at all. Of course, there were others. After about two weeks, uh, after I went forward to them, someone else did contact them, but that person did not feel ready to speak publicly because not everybody will be ready and no one should ask them to be ready. She said, I completely understand and respect that decision. I felt that because of my worldview and because of the support system that I had, as fragile as it seemed to be, I was the one positioned to bear that cost and that it would be worth it regardless of the outcome. In Jesus Christ, we have someone who has already stood out and stepped forward and spoken up and showed us in his teachings and his being how to move through this world, and it's provided us 
enormous cover. He has suffered under Pontius Pilate, as the creed says, to the point that he was dead and buried. But on the third day, he rose again, as the creed goes on. Because this kind of love that moved him and motivated him and moves through us cannot be killed, at least for long. It always gets up. And even when it has to journey through hell, which the creed says it did, it gets up. And it is on the loose and it cannot be stopped and we simply have to join in it or let others around us when we're not strong enough to. Strong is not the right word to use there, when we're not able to. We are a resurrection people. We're entering this time of Lent, a time which doesn't mirror Jesus' moment on the mountaintop. It travels along Jesus in his 40 days in the wilderness when Jesus was without the glory and sometimes without the comfort where he had to face his demons, look them in the eye. And so likewise, we like to give up things during Lent to journey with him to strip down of of some comforts perhaps, but not to glorify suffering, to wallow in it but rather to think of it as training for the endurance to get through this world. And maybe to prepare ourselves to taste again the sweetness of the life in Christ, which is sweet enough to get us through the bitter days, which do, of course, come. I had colleagues who uh, once gave up sweets for Lent, Not sugary things. Please do not turn Lent into a dieting episode. (laughs) They gave up anything that tasted sweet, including fruit, because they wanted to deny their palate of that sweetness and make it accustomed to blandness so that on Easter, on the day of the resurrection, they might taste viscerally the sweetness of life in Jesus Christ and be reminded that, that it gives them enough If not to be a prophet, then to be a first follower, and if not a first follower, then a second. I don't know what they had that day to eat. Maybe it was cake. But having had an authentic and honest Lenten journey, they would know by then that you can't have it and eat it too.
You may be seated. I want to highlight just a couple of announcements for you. First, our new member orientation will be immediately following this worship service. We'll meet in the library for those of you wanting to know more about membership here at Westminster. Rob mentioned that the season of Lent is beginning. The official start of Lent is this Wednesday, and we will honor that with an Ash Wednesday service here in the sanctuary at 9.30 in the morning. All are welcome to participate in that. In addition, traditionally during Lent, we collect canned food, and we donate it to the Marin Food Bank. And so um, you'll notice we ask for specific things each Sunday. You can bring whatever you want, but it makes it more fun for the kids. So next Sunday is canned bean Sunday. If you want to bring a can of beans to donate to the food bank, you are invited to do that. Also, finally, beginning next Sunday, we are going to be having sign-ups for our Forward in Faith dinners. These are sponsored by our Westminster 2020 Capital Campaign. A chance to just get a little more information about what this campaign is going to be. A chance to envision together, to share our hopes and dreams for the church going forward. There's going to be no hard fundraising sell at these dinners. Don't be worried that you're going to be asked for money. Not that at all. Just a chance to be together and learn more about the campaign. I know the campaign team is really hoping that as many people as possible in the congregation will come to one of these dinners. The sign-ups will begin next week. These are not our traditional small group dinners. Those are going to return in the fall. But we hope you'll join us at our Forward in Faith dinners this spring. Now I invite you as you are comfortable to stand as you are able and join in our closing hymn number 13.
I noticed while singing that hymn just a moment ago that the text was written by the organist at my seminary, and it just struck me how good it is to go through this journey, as difficult as it can be for all of us, knowing that there are people out there speaking such beautiful words, prophetic words or poetic words or words without words that still speak God's word. So go from this place knowing that you do not go alone that you go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you go with the love of God who is our Father and who is our Mother, and that you go with the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen.